0: So the problem becomes in when you have too many of these particles all at the same time. So you compound, compound wildfire, you compound air pollution, mm-hmm. you compound excess heat in the atmosphere, and all of that's a recipe for a disaster.
1: This is the James Cancer Free World podcast. I'm Steve Wortenberg, and today we're going to talk about something a little bit different—a topic that's become increasingly important and will become even more critical in the years. And decades to come, and that's how climate change will impact health in general and cancer rates. This is a big topic, and we have two guests to fill us in and guide us Lauren Cook. The sustainability program manager for the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, and Mariam Hussein, a medical oncologist who specializes in treating patients with soft tissue and bone sarcomas, and is an assistant professor in the Division of Medical Oncology. Welcome, Lauren and Mariam. Thank you, you, Steve. So. From what I understand, when we were talking before, this topic—sustainability and and climate change—and how it relates to healthcare—kind of brought you two together. So, how did that happen?
2: It's true. Yeah. Right. We <laughs> met at um, it's a conference called Clean Med. So, it's mm-hmm. a sustainable healthcare conference that meets annually. It has been for about twenty years, and oh, I think I we decided exactly. it was twenty fifteen.
0: Yeah. in yes. Dallas. I the
2: irony so. of two people in Columbus oh. connecting in Dallas, but we. Right. We met there, and
1: so you act, you both worked in Columbus, but you met in Dallas.
2: Yeah, we oh. met at the so conference, at the <laughs> company. Yeah. and then just kind of hit it off with yeah. these same passions about you know how right. do we work on sustainability in the healthcare space.
1: So for those of you on audio only, that was Lauren talking first, and um, Miriam, follow up on that. What when you what did you two first start talking about that? that interested you and brought you together
0: no it's so funny i know i remember it distinctly because mm-hmm. there was either i think it was one of those open networking sessions yeah. and then she was talking about decarbonizing healthcare, which is exactly what i started getting interested in and uh, it was one of those things where i asked her i'm like yeah you know i'm based out of ohio and how could i do and it's like well i went to ohio <laughs> state and i <it> just <laughs> went from there <laughs> so it was perfect timing
1: wow and and then, so Lauren, your job as sustainability manager—that ties right into that. So, explain a little bit about your job and what you do, and and try to help the university do.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, my role is really to help the university achieve its resource stewardship goals. So, we have a carbon mm-hmm. neutral by 2050 goal. We have an energy, water waste reduction goals. Um, We have a supply chain related goal around environmentally preferred products. And that's really my role is to get us towards all of those targets from the med center perspective. So I'm excited that I get to spend my days figuring out how we reduce the amount of energy we need, reduce the amount of waste that we produce as we deliver care to our patients.
1: So this job title, sustainability manager, is that mm-hmm. like another, like, we never heard of social media managers 15 <laughs> years ago. Oh, yeah. Is this a new <laughs> profession, a new Definitely. specialty?
2: Yeah, I mean, even as I was finishing up my graduate work 10 years ago. In, in what? So I did um, a master's in environment and natural resources in public policy. Um, it was just starting to come on the scene, and it was much more in the corporate space Mm -hmm. versus the healthcare space but Mm -hmm. i was lucky right as i finished up grad school i went and i worked for the nonprofit that um, runs the conference that we were talking about so healthcare without harm is the name of it Um, and they have this membership arm called practice green health that actually provides support to hospitals of how do you develop a sustainable healthcare program and it, it typically starts with developing a role like mine or developing teams um, to do this work.
1: So you're a bit of a pioneer in this field at a large, or one of the biggest medical center, cancer centers in the world.
2: I think that's... Um, yes. I don't know that I can <laughs> call myself a pioneer, you,
0: yes. but, no, w- but, <laughs> but I think we are on the edge. We're,
1: we're calling her. <laughs> yes, right? yes.
0: Yes. I will <laughs> answer it for her.
1: <laughs> well, I think this is a great start. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll dive into some specifics of what's going on in the environment and how that's impacting health. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust we're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Lauren Cook and Mariam Hussein. And Mariam, before the break, you briefly mentioned lung cancer. And I'm guessing that climate change could impact lung cancer rates. So, how? would that happen?
0: Yeah, so great question. Whenever you have any sort of toxin or chemical compound, um, even in a volcano, when you have that eruption, and so just basically any compound that becomes, um, that is either burned or um, like a flash turns into a gas, so like an aerosol, when you think of your car, for example, in that combustion, Mm -hmm. that all of those gases that go up into the atmosphere, when they break down, they can break down into really, really small amounts. Um, so if you think about like, um, let's say a meter, right? Um, there, uh, When the particle becomes as small as even a nanometer, which is a billionth, right, of that meter, 2.5 nanometers, there's a lot, a lot of data, people much smarter than me about that, that have researched it to uh, the minutest level that that can still be inhaled into our lungs and potentially cause problems later down the road. And it could be theoretically anything, right, You know that can become that small and we inhale it. So even if you think of a gas, it's not even on that scale, right? Uh, But then the problem becomes is when you inhale too much of bad things. So when you talk about increased pollution from cars or increased pollution just when the atmosphere itself is just so hot Um, that normally on a normal day wouldn't be a problem but when it gets really hot on those hot days those gases can um, basically become aerosolized more and become those really small um, gas particles that That, we were talking about.
1: That's why they put out alerts to stay inside when it's 98 degrees.
0: Exactly yep that's a perfect example and we saw a lot of that right? uh, Another unfortunately great example of this phenomenon is with wildfire smoke so exactly to your point we saw that.
1: Coming from Canada this Exactly. A month or so ago. Yep, absolutely. You could actually see and feel it in the air. Yeah. So, what was happening to our lungs when that? smoke was coming down from canada into yeah. central ohio
0: so normally um so normally wildfire smoke i mean wildfires happen all the time right it's a normal part of the earth's environment but they it's seem to be
1: that... happening more due to climate change
0: exactly exactly and just the le- the length with which they burn for um and how hot they actually are burning and so there's a certain temperature that wildfires will have but then as you have more wood you just have more intense intensity intensity of the fire you can make those particles happen a lot easier is essentially what it comes down to so when you just inhale and again normally uh, we inhale these particles and it overall doesn't seem to cause too much of a problem right as long as it's within a moderate type of scale right because you have a summer period a fall winter etc uh, so the problem becomes in when you have too many of these particles all at the same time. So you compound, compound wildfire, you compound air pollution, mm-hmm. you compound excess heat in the atmosphere, and all of that's a recipe for a disaster. So then when you inhale a lot of that's uh, a lot of those particles, that's what they saw in Beijing, where there was actually a direct relationship to this PM 2.5. Those um, pollution particles and lung cancer rates. It wasn't something, if I mean, again, being totally transparent, it wasn't something where it was a 50% increase or a 100% increase, but they saw a, a, a few percentage increase in the risk of lung cancer. And when you're that one person or you're that loved one who has somebody i mean that's your entire world right so who cares if it's five people or two people and i think that's the thing right that is scary is that as we're going to see more cars out on the road as we already do um, if we're going to see a lot more pollution because we're going to need a lot more ac because of hotter temperatures um, etc right and then as our global systems are just so working on overdrive to get us things within 2 hours versus 2 weeks, right? And do we really need that thing 2 hours from now versus a, a 2 days from now? That sort of all that increased combustion of fossil fuels and the increased heat that's going to happen. That there's a risk and a concern that that PM2.5 is going to increase and we'll be inhaling a lot of that. So the downstream effects of that Short answer is, we don't know, but it has a potential fear that we could start seeing more rates of cancer because of that.
1: So the odds are the rates are going to go up, but it's too early to know how to much. Tell.
0: exactly. And
1: so but it's a rate should be going down, not up.
0: And that's why you want to curve things out because we yeah. did such a great job with screening. we did such a great job with decreasing cancer rates or smoking rates. Yeah, and, and we now. just don't want to lose ground with something else that we can prevent.
1: Now, another area related to that is there's just more hurricanes, floods, weather events. So, Lauren, that's a little bit more in your area. Mm -hmm. So how do they impact? And it sounds like it's not a direct impact. It might be like an indirect impact.
2: Yeah, it's both. Um, So the direct impact is when that hurricane happens in your region, in your area. We saw with um, Hurricane Katrina some really terrible lessons learned that okay we we need to keep generators above ground right those should no longer be in the basement because even though every hospital is required to keep 96 hours of um, backup generator power if it floods that Mm -hmm. becomes inoperable and then they no longer have um, ac or power to be able to treat the patients there. Um, So from a built perspective, we learned that there's gonna be design features that we have to ensure our hospitals are gonna continue to be able to deliver care. Um, Operable windows were another big finding in Katrina, right? So before, um, they no longer had windows that could open. After that, terrible occurrence now they're designing hospitals that at least have a lock and a key that you can open those windows up so you
1: can Um, circulate air and cool it off
2: exactly if that power goes out Mm -hmm. exactly so and then there's been some studies done to look at the association between those survival rates in areas that have declared hurricanes Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you're receiving treatment you're receiving chemo or radiation and you need to be able to go to a facility and access that care Uh, unfortunately they've shown that there are worse survival rates when there's a hurricane that happens so there are some direct abilities to deliver care to cancer patients when those hurricanes hit uh, those regions but even across the country we were talking before we Mm -hmm. got started hurricane maria in puerto rico i mean this is pretty well known story now but that it um destroyed a plant that was making the iv bags the saline bags and Mm -hmm. that actually upended supply chain uh, for the whole country i mean miriam Mm -hmm. you probably experienced Mm -hmm. that much more directly than
0: yeah no i mean you said it perfectly i think um uh, because it seems like puerto rico somewhere very far away right Right. and so um we, we had patients in in the hospital where i think i was on service that uh during that time and i mean this was over the course of a few months where we didn't have it consistent access and so a lot of times with chemotherapy drugs you need to have normal saline it's so basically salt water right um that is cleaned and everything that needs to run with the chemo so it's, it's not
1: something you can just put salt in a bag of water it's exactly. special yep. Ma- it's got to be made special
0: exactly because yeah. you got to have the same the consistent same amount of the salt water uh in each time to make sure it's standardized mm-hmm. and that it's safe to use with other drugs and you can't just do that on the fly um, especially in a place like ours right or any sort of um, big hospital like the James uh, or even OSU Wexner and uh, so a lot of times things were prioritized and so the drugs and dialysis and everything that absolutely needed the saline it got shifted towards there so then people who rely on hydration or people who needed just a simple bag like hey you know uh, speaking of again back to climate that with heat related uh, issues if you get dehydrated quickly heat strokes etc again And it became very much a prioritization versus hey yes you can have this right and i'll I'll just get you a normal saline like normal saline is like oh i'll just get you like a piece of paper like you don't even think about it it's that you know routine part of our day and there and i remember i had to tell a patient that yeah we're low and we can't have it so i can't i can't give it to you today but i'm hoping we'll get a shipment you know when we can
1: so that can Mm -hmm. impact care long term It impacts care long term and so something else you said, Lauren, I, I, I think Miriam relates to you. Like I'm thinking of Hawaii when the fire just wiped out the town and the people who survived and are in housing somewhere. There could, some of those people could be on chemotherapy, like you mentioned, or needing radiation. And if you're if this thing happens on Monday and Tuesday and you are supposed to get your chemo on Wednesday for the next three Wednesdays and you can't, that is going to impact that person's long-term life yeah. or death
0: right no 100 um leticia naguera with uh, american cancer society she had recently authored an article ab- about this exact same thing from hurricane harvey and then we saw um, examples from Hurricane Sandy like Lauren was saying that patients who are, I forget which way it was, but from major cancer centers, they had to transfer their patients just across the street or if they could or, you know, obviously down the block to another cancer centers that was not impacted, or their generators weren't flooded so that patients could continue with radiation or with chemo, etc. The problem with that is that, again, this isn't this isn't talking about getting political or anything like that, but we don't have um, a universal uh, electronic medical record system. So patients. So even though you could just literally go across the street, theoretically, right, sometimes you may not have the exact. regimen that they are on or you don't know exactly what chemo it is mm-hmm. they may not have access to it if they're not a cancer center and they're a community hospital for example the nurses may not be trained on how to treat those patients and the radiation teams there may not be able to accommodate the extra patients that will be need uh, that are needed because they're already booked out for their own patients
1: right you're you're but you're going to create bottlenecks and exactly and, and problems wow exactly and we're going to have more of these extreme weather events and forest fires. So, who? I know.
2: Right? Deep breath, right? Yeah.
1: Don't, not what too deep, that? though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, ultraviolet light and skin cancer is something else I've heard. Um, how... What's going to happen there, and how, how can yeah. what should people know to be to be more cautious and preventative?
0: It's one of those things where we're extrapolating the situation now. So, um, the biggest thing I would say is that just with the increase in heat, right, and the increase as. Um, more of the sun's light which includes ultraviolet light gets trapped within the atmosphere it's and again it's hard to say because a lot of times the the sun's heat etc that radiation will bounce off of the earth and go out into space but how much of that actually happens and how much of that is going to end up getting stuck on earth because you're creating that increased greenhouse effect right where uh, um, radiation and etc aren't able to leave the planet as easily that there is a concern again that you could get more exposure to ultraviolet light when you're out in the sun and then could that lead to more increased risk uh uh, rates of skin cancer for example so i think the bottom line comes down to please, please, please wear sunscreen yeah. when you're going outside and covering it up, especially those really long, hot days.
1: And and then yeah. like the noon to when the sun's at its highest. Highest,
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. Just to help protect yourself and your kids, your family from that risk.
1: Yeah, as, as I was thinking about this yeah. podcast, I was and, and I was watching a game on TV, I'm thinking, you know, 40 years from now, maybe every sporting event will be at night only because of heat mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And we, our whole society may change and do more things before the sun comes up and, and late in the evening so I don't know is, is, a very is that point. possible? I,
2: that's an interesting thought I mean I think we're going to need systemic change to deal yeah. with this I had not considered the impact to football games <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right. that, but that is fair I think yeah. um, a lot of things in our society the way they are are just going to look different
1: Well yeah. another thing related to that if it's where temperatures are going to be up people are going to be not outside running cycling playing yeah. tennis and and they may not be as healthy they could and there could be more obesity which is already a cause of cancer how what what's science saying about that
0: yeah i mean um again i uh, there isn't any data i've seen yet that specifically is relating climate with obesity but uh, at the indirect effects like kind of Lauren was mm-hmm. talking about the indirect impacts of hurricanes That so the indirect impacts with climate as it relates to obesity the way we're seeing it I think there's probably two main things so you brought it up with physical activity right that it's just going to be hard like how much can you walk around in your house right to yeah. match the bicycling you were no- normally doing um, so weighing th- and then that d- ties into just access issues and a lot of the current disparities we have within society leading to healthcare disparities as it is anyways so do you have the resources to afford a peloton in your house Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people do a lot of people don't and i um the the second part is the food systems and so as you start seeing we already have food deserts in you know major parts of the country is even here in columbus and so when you talk about uh potential increased heat, increased heat that then could lead to increased drought right. because you're having extreme weather patterns where normal rainfall doesn't happen. And then you just get a bunch of water that's dumped like it did in Houston with Harvey and then you don't get rain for uh, for months, right? And so you're seeing that in Nevada, that three years there was a drought and then all of a sudden it's just this deluge of, of water. And what does that do to farmlands? And a lot of Ohio is farmland and so, um, how much we're going to be able to access food and where it's going to come from and can we do it locally and when you have the classic economic issue right supply and demand people who have money are going to be able to afford it more than people who don't right so lower income
1: people will eat even more poorly and be in poorer health more cancer more diabetes more everything
0: etc so and that's the thing i think is that you're going to see a lot of healthcare disparities become a lot more disparate and the haves and have nots are going to widen a lot more is the concern and so that is um that's that's part of as at least as it relates to obesity itself because the food we're eating is leading to that very high processed foods and then just the actual ability to run it off could
1: potentially be impacted too wow um well, let's talk about something good something good going on so um lauren in your role you're helping the university addresses what are some of the things that the university's doing and perhaps i don't know but maybe some of them can be transferable to uh us at our homes and when we travel and and live our lives
2: yeah well um i'll get to that one maybe later right okay. what i was thinking just miriam yeah. you made me think about those healthcare disparities and so one thing that i know we're talking a lot about is what's our role as an anchor institution meaning that mm. we're an institution that's not going anywhere right if you're a bank or you're corporation you can pick and choose where you're going to be headquartered someone like Mm -hmm. our university and our medical center we're here to stay so that creates an interesting opportunity to um, create longer standing relationships with our community and to help those particularly who are impacted by those disparities so there's a lot Mm. of work going into how do we get outside of our four walls and start to address those? Um, Get more access to wellness activities. We have a couple healthy community centers that are opening up over the next few years. Um, And there's gonna be exercise and wellness program for free offered there, or Mm -hmm. health screenings for free offered there. And then from a sustainability perspective, we're looking at how do we bring some of these things that we're doing internal at the hospital or offering our employees to our community members. So a couple examples are every Earth Day, we do a tree giveaway. Um, And so as we think about climate change, we think about trees, trees sequester carbon. They're also really good for um, cleaning the air. So as we talked about Mm -hmm. air pollution, uh, Mm -hmm. that's one potential solution. And then they also, are great for addressing urban heat islands, which is something that we have. shade, shade. Exactly. So, you know, there's interesting research being done looking at the impact of um, the temperature with no trees and then mm-hmm. trees lining a street um so as you think about how do you encourage people to get outside trees can be part of that solution so we cool. we already pass out trees to our employees uh now we're going to be doing that to some of our communities we also Um, offer employee at home composting Uh, so how do you take your food scraps and turn that into the next soil that's going to grow more food um, and do it locally Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you just talked about Mm -hmm. miriam so that's going to be something that we reach out to our communities on as well Um, but internally you know we're really focused on you mentioned the word decarbonization so that's all about how do we figure out how to reduce the amount of emissions related with the business of, of providing patient care. So I'll just give you one quick example. Anesthesia gas is actually a greenhouse gas emission. So when you go down, when you have surgery done, there are certain types of anesthesia gases that clinicians can choose mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And there, there's typically three inhaled anesthetics, desflurane, um, isoflurane, and sevoflurane. Desflurane is actually the most expensive and the largest greenhouse gas emitter. So in a win-win solution, we were able to, over the course of five years, decrease our desflurane use and then um, move to low flow in our other anesthesia gas-related usage, we're now down 79% for anesthesia. So the low
1: flow prevents more from getting out? Wasted,
2: essentially. It's just like like energy efficiency. So only use the energy you need, only use the anesthesia gas that that patient needs. Um, So just working with clinicians, the Department of Anesthesia has been wonderful. We have one particular um, clinician that's been working on this, Dr. Vidya Raman and um just from we were able to decrease it 50 percent in the first five years from baseline i call it the dr raman effect Once she (laughs) started kind of educating i'll call it her fellow employees that you saw this huge extra decrease and that's why we're now down 80 percent of emissions so it's Mm -hmm. exciting to see you know once you start to put some data Around it, just like any other, you know, scientific review, right? You start to measure it, you start to manage it, and you watch that progress. Right.
1: So, so one person and one idea can make a difference. That's exactly so right. So, a thousand people and a thousand ideas yes. can make a big and difference, and that's what you're coordinating.
0: Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, and Dr. Ramatirade, like that, was equivalent to like a few hundred thousand dollar benefit. It's, it's not hundred thousand
2: yeah. dollars. Yeah, hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars in benefit um, that can be redirected into patient care. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. when you look at the difference between that anesthesia gas, um, it's you know millions of miles driven. So we're not talking about a, a small amount. It's a pretty significant amount, particularly when you look at an operating room and where the primary. Um, Emissions coming from in the operating room—it's really anesthesia gas. That's one of the biggest.
1: Well, who would have so. thought that a, an operation would would create get you know problems in yeah, the environment? Right. But right. almost everything we do can create problems in the environment. Yeah. <laughs> Except podcasting.
2: <laughs> yep, yeah, you're off the hook.
1: <laughs> we're, we're this is a very green podcast.
2: That's I walked lovely.
1: here, so and you took a bicycle. I did. I did so perfect. there you go. That's hilarious.
2: <laughs>
1: so. Let's end on something more upbeat. We've mm-hmm. talked about problems and how things, you know, are going to get worse and maybe some yeah. cancer rates are going to go up. What makes you feel a little more optimistic about the future? I, like you just gave a great example, but for each of mm-hmm. you, what what keeps you going and keeps you upbeat and, and not getting too discouraged?
2: You want me to start? Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: this this is Lauren. This is go this first. is Lauren. <laughs> yeah.
2: So. I think this is the crux of it. We have to stay hopeful. We just had a pretty heavy podcast and discussion about you know, what could potentially go wrong. Um, but I, I also think if we can begin to move in this direction, that think about how our delivery of healthcare is gonna change for the better as we move to lower carbon, ways of providing that care. And so I've seen some really exciting research come out of um, the National Health Services in the United Kingdom, where they're really focused on this and really looking at how do we not just look at price? Um, of course, we're always going to look at patient outcomes, and that has right. to be first and foremost. But how do we also begin to factor in carbon? and? that is something i could not have pictured 10 years ago when i got started in this space so just the fact that the speed at which we're starting to change that's really leaving me hopeful and i think everyone always asks me this and so i do want to say if people are listening and feeling overwhelmed or feeling a lot of individual guilt don't feel that guilt don't you know do what you can to change but remember, I think what you said was right, think about what one person can do to change something. Think about what you as an individual can do within your own institutions, right. um, within your own communities. And that, I think, is what leaves me with hope. I think as people begin to to question the way we do things, we can reimagine a, a better way of doing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maryam? I think that was beautifully said. Um, I know, so as as my job in occupational hazard is that you don't always, you can't always give good news, right? And that's just the nature of things. And I think being realistic is obviously very important too, right? So that people can fulfill the goals they have, right? Even though they may be different than what they originally started out with. But having said that though, right? That there, And again, like exactly like Lauren said, we talked a lot about reality. And I think it's one of those things where And this is not meant to sound sappy at all, but it really does come down to hope. Because I think it's one of those things where, again, in my profession, you can hope. Hope started off as one thing, but then hope can turn to something else, right? In a different situation that you find yourself in. And that situations can always be hopeful. They look different. They look a lot different than when you start out. And I think that's what Lauren had referred to, is that our society is gonna look different, Mm -hmm. right, with these changes. That's not a bad thing, per se, right? It's just different. And you can find happiness, you can find contentment, and you can find hope in that and the the second part that i would say is that exactly like lauren said 10 years ago right which is roughly like eight when we had met right eight or so years ago the thing that gives me hope now and i don't know if i ever told you this but the fact that she's here right? That Lauren's here at OSU, that Aparna Dial is here, right? That there are people that I felt like I was an island here that no one cared. And then all of a sudden, you see people that their actual job is to fix this help fix this problem, right? Or help guide us to it. So the fact that we've invested in people like Lauren to do that, the fact that my division director, uh, Dr. Claire Vershragan, who was going to do this podcast originally, she is been completely supportive of these efforts, right? And you're talking about leadership, Level with that. So, I think you're seeing there is definitely. I find hope in people that are here, the investment that we're giving to those people, and I know truly, a hundred percent, we're going to be able to turn this around. I think we have the tools to do that something as simple as an anesthetic gas, right, that I didn't even know about until Lauren told me about it, (laughs) because I don't do surgeries, that if something that simple can do it, right, that like, just imagine, like you said, one person, if each of us did something, right, the exponential benefit we're going to get from that, it's, it's without question that that this is going to happen. It's just don't give up, have that hope that we can do it, just do your individual part and we'll do it collectively.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. That was both eloquently said by both of you. And thank you for being leaders in this field. And and I feel a lot more hopeful after talking to you. As studying for this, I was a little, you know, (laughs) depressing. But now you've given me some hope and it's up to all of us to each, you know, think of things and contribute and and pay attention to what's important. So thank you both.
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Steve. Really, thank you. Thanks, Lauren.
1: (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solove Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.